0: This is Nick Treadwell and you are listening to Nick Treadwell's Storyville. Record three. Jacket, wall, the table. I've looked over what I wrote yesterday and I see it wasn't as clear as it should be. It's perfectly clear for any of us, I mean, but who knows? Maybe you unknown people who will get my notes when the integral brings them. Maybe you've read the great book of civilization only up to the page our ancestors reached about 900 years ago. Maybe you don't even know the basics, like the table of hours, personal hours, maternal norm, green war, benefactor. It feels funny to me. And at the same time, it's very hard to talk about all of this. It's just as if a writer of the 20th century, for instance, had to explain in his novel what he meant by jacket or apartment or wife. Still, if, this, if his novel was translated for savages, there's no way he could write jacket without putting in a note. I'm sure a savage would look at jacket and think, what's that for? just something else to carry i think you'll i think you'll probably look at me the same way when i tell you that not one of us even since the 200 years war has ever been on the other side of the green war but my dear readers you'll have to do just a little thinking it helps a lot because you know all this all human history as far back as we know it is history of moving from nomadic life to a more settled way of life. So, doesn't it follow that the most settled form of life, ours, is by the same token the most perfect form of life, ours? If people used to wander over the earth from one end to the other, that only, that only happened in prehistoric times when there were nations and wars and trade and discoveries of this and that, America... But why do it now? Who needs it? I'll admit that people did not take to this settled way of life right away and without any trouble. When the 200 Years War destroyed all the roads and, the grass, covered, and grass covered them over, during that first time it probably seemed very uncomfortable living in cities that were cut off from one another by all the tangled green stuff. But what of that? After man's tail fell off, it was probably some little while before he learned to shoo away the flies without a tail. I don't doubt that during that first time, he probably missed his tail. But now, can you even imagine yourself with a tail? Or can you imagine yourself walking down the street naked, without your jacket? Maybe Maybe you still run around in jackets. Well, it's the same here. I can't imagine a city that isn't girdled about with a green wall. I can't imagine a life that isn't clad in the numerical robes of the table. The table. At this very minute from the wall of my room its purple figures on their golden ground are looking down at me sternly and tenderly. Straight in the eyes. I can't help thinking of what the ancients called an icon and I can't help and I, and I feel like composing a poem or a prayer, which is the same thing. Oh, why am I not a poet, so that I might celebrate you properly, O oh, table, O oh, heart and pulse of the one state? All of us as schoolchildren, and you too perhaps, used to read the greatest of all monuments of ancient literature that has come down to us, the Railroad Timetable but set even but set even this next to the table and what you'll see is graphite and diamond they're both one and the same element c carbon but how eternal transparent and brilliant is the diamond who doesn't catch his breath when he ruffles through the pages of the railroad timetable but the table of hours, it turns each one of us, right there in broad daylight, into a steel, six-wheeled epic hero. Every morning, with six-wheeled precision, at the same hour and the very same minute, we get up. Millions of us, as though we were one. At the very same hour, millions of, millions of us as one, we start work. Later, millions as one, we stop. And then... Like one body with a million hands, at one and the same second according to the table, we lift the spoon to our lips, and at one and the same second we leave for a stroll and go to the auditorium, to the hall for the tailor exercises, and then to bed. I'll be completely honest with you, even we haven't yet solved the problem of happiness with 100% accuracy. Twice a day, from 1600 to 1700, and again from 21 to 2200, the single mighty organism breaks down into its individual cells. These are the personal hours, as established by the table. During these hours, you'll see that some are in their rooms with their blinds modestly lowered. Others are walking around the avenue in step with the brass beat of the march. Still others, like me at this moment, will be at their desks. But I firmly believe, let them call me an idealist and dreamer, but I firmly believe that sooner or later, one day, we'll find a place for even these hours in the general formula. One day, all 86,400 seconds will be on the table of hours. I've read and heard a lot of unbelievable stuff about those times when people lived in freedom, that is, in disorganised wilderness. But of all the things, the very hardest for me to believe was how the governmental power of that time, even if it was still embryonic, could have permitted people to live without even a semblance of our table, without obligatory walks, without precisely established mealtimes getting up and going to bed whenever it pleased them. Some historians even claim that in those days, lights burned on the streets all night. People were out walking and driving on the streets all night long. Now, that's something I simply cannot get through my head. No matter how limited their powers of reason might have been, still they must have understood that living... Living like that was just murder, a capital crime, except it was slow, day-by-day day murder. The government, or humanity, would not permit capital punishment for one man, but they permitted the murder of millions a little at a time. To kill one man, that is, to sub- subtract 50 years from the sum of all human lives, that was a crime, but to subtract from the sum of all human lives 50 years, million years, that was not a crime. No, really, isn't that funny? This problem in moral math could be solved in half a minute by any 10-year-old number today. But they couldn't solve it. All their cants together couldn't solve it because it never occurred to one of their cants to construct a system of scientific ethics. That is, one based on subtraction, addition, division and multiplication. And then, isn't it absurd that a government, it had the nerve to call itself a government, could let sexual life proceed without the slightest control? Who, when, however much you wanted, completely unscientific, like animals, and blindly like animals they produced young. Isn't it funny to know horticulture poultry keeping, fish farming, we have very precise records of their knowing all of this and not to be able to reach the last rung of this logical ladder, child protection, child production, not to come up with something like our maternal and paternal norms. It's so funny, so improbable that now I've written it, I'm afraid that you, my unknown readers, will think I'm making wicked jokes. You might suddenly think I'm making fun of you and keeping a straight face while I tell you the most absolute nonsense. But in the first place, I simply can't make jokes. The default value of every joke is a lie. And in the second place, one state science declares that ancient life was exactly as I have described it. And one state science cannot make a mistake. Besides, where would where could any governmental logic have come from anyway when people lived in the condition known as freedom that is like beasts monkeys cattle what could you have expected from them even in our day you could still very occasionally hear coming up from the bottom from the hairy depths a wild ape like echo only now and again fortunately these are Fortunately, no more than little chance details. It's easy to repair them without without bringing to a halt the great eternal progress of the whole machine. And in order to discard some bolt that has gotten bent, we have the heavy, skilful hand of the benefactor. We have the experienced eye of the guardians. Which, now I think of it, reminds me about the number yesterday with the double bent with the double bend, like an S. I think I saw him once coming out of the Bureau of Guardians. Now I see why I had the distinctive feeling, instinctive feeling of respect for him and why I felt so awkward when, the, when that strange I-330 in his presence. I must confess that I str- I-330. hyphen Ah, that's the bell for sleep. It's 22.30. See you tomorrow. Record 4. Savage with barometer. Epilepsy. If. Up to this point, I have found everything in life clear. Not for nothing do I seem to have a certain partiality for that very word clear. But today, I don't understand. First, I did in fact get an order to be in that very auditorium 112. Just as she had told me. Although the probability was something like 1,500 over 10 million equals 3 over 20,000. 1,500 is the number of auditoriums and 10 million the number of numbers. Second, it might be best however to go in order. The auditorium an immense sunlit hemisphere composed of massive glass sections, circular rows of knobbly, spherical, smoothly shaved heads. I looked around with a slightly sinking heart. I think I was searching whether the pink crescent of my dear O's lips would not shine above the blue waves of the unis. There, it looked like someone's very... White, shiny teeth, but no, not hers. This evening at twenty-one hundred hours, O, was to come to my place. It was perfectly natural that that I'd want to see her. The bell. We stood up and sang the anthem of one state, and on the plat and on the platform appeared the phono lecturer, sparkling with wit and with his golden loudspeaker. Honoured Numbers Recently, our archaeologists unearthed the book of the 20th century. The author, ironically, relates the story of the savage and the barometer. The savage noticed that every time the barometer showed rain, it did in fact rain. And, since the savage wanted it to rain, he found a way to let out just enough mercury so that the thing would point to rain. The screen showed a savage bed-decked with feathers letting out some mercury. General laughter. You laugh, but don't you think the European of that age was much more to be laughed at? Just like the savage, the European also wanted RAIN, but RAIN with a capital letter. Algebraic RAIN. But he stood in front of the barometer like a wet hen. The savage, at least, had more daring, more energy and more, even if savage, logic. He was able to establish a connection between a cause and its effect. When he let the mercury out, he took the first step along the great path that... But at this, I repeat, I'm writing what happened, leaving nothing out. I became, for a time, impermeable to the vivifying stream pouring out of the loudspeaker. It suddenly struck me that I should, shouldn't should have come. Why shouldn't? And how could I not have come once I'd gotten the order? It suddenly struck me that everything was empty, an empty shell, and I didn't manage to switch my attention back on until the photo, phono lecturer had gotten down to his basic theme, to our music, to mathematical composition the mathematician is the cause, the music, the result, to a description of the recently invented musicometer. Simply by turning this handle, any one of you can produce up to three sonatas per hour. And how much labour such a thing cost your ancestors? They could create only by whipping themselves up to attacks of inspiration, some unknown form of epilepsy. And here I have for you a most amusing example of what they got for their trouble. The music of Scrabin, 20th century. This black box, a curtain was pulled aside on the stage and there stood one of their ancient instruments. This black box was called a grand piano or even a royal grand, which is merely one more proof, if any were needed, of the degree to which all their music, and then... But again, I'm not sure, because it might have been... No, I'll say it right out. Because she, I-330, went up to the Royal Grand. I was probably just dazzled by how she suddenly turned up unexpectedly on the stage. She was wearing one of the fantastic costumes of ancient times, a tightly fitting black dress, very low cut, which sharply emphasised the whiteness of her shoulders and bosom and the warm shadow that undulated in time with her breathing between her and her blinding, almost wicked teeth. Her smile was a bite, and I was was its target. She sat down, she began to play. Something wild, spasmodic, jumbled, like their whole life back then, when they didn't even have the faintest adumbration of rational mechanics. And of course, those around me were right to laugh, as they all did. But a few of us, and I, why was I among those few? Yes, epilepsy is a mental illness, pain, a slow, sweet pain. It is a bite. Let it bite deeper, harder, and then slowly the sun. Not this one, not ours shining all-sky-blue crystal regularly through through the glass brick. No, a savage, rushing, burning sun, flinging everything away from itself, everything in little pieces. The one sitting next to me glanced to his left at me and giggled. For some reason, I have a very vivid image of what I saw, a microscope bubble of saliva appeared on his lips and burst. That bubble sobered me. I was myself once again. Like everyone else I heard nothing more than the stupid vain clattering of the strings. I laughed. Things became easy and simple. The talented phono lecturer had simply given us a too lively picture of that savage epoch. That's all. After that How pleasant it was to listen to our music of today. A demonstration of it was given at the end for contrast. Crystalline, chromatic scales of converging and diverging infinite series and the synoptic harmonies of the formulas of Taylor and McLaren. Wholesome, quadrangular and weighty as Pythagoras Pants mournful melodies of a wavering, diminishing movement, the alternate, alternate, alternating bright beats of the pauses, according to the lines of Frau Hofner. The spectral analysis of the planet. What magnificence, what unalterable regularity, and what pathetic self-indulgence was that ancient music, limited only by its wild imaginings, We left through the broad doors of the auditorium in in the usual way, marching four abreast in neat ranks. I caught a glimpse of the familiar double-bent figure somewhere to the side and bowed to him respectfully. Dear O was to come in an hour. I felt a pleasant and useful excitement. Once home I passed quickly by the desk, handed the duty officer my pink ticket and got the pass to use the blinds. We get to use the blinds only on sex day otherwise we have we have we, we live in broad daylight inside these walls that seem to have been fashioned out of bright air always on view always on view. We have nothing to hide from one another besides this makes it easier for the guardians to carry out their burdensome noble task, no telling what might go on otherwise. Maybe it was the strange, opaque dwellings of the ancients that gave rise to their, pitif- their, their pitiful cellular psychology. My home is my castle. Brilliant, right? At 2200 hours, I lowered the blinds, and at, that perci- and at that precise moment, O came in. A little out of breath, she gave me her pink lips and her pink ticket. I tore off the stub, but I couldn't tear myself away from those, from her rosy lips until the very last second, fifteen hundred hours. Afterward, I showed her my notes and spoke, rather well, I think, about the beauty of the square, the cube, the straight line. She listened in her enchantingly rosy way, and suddenly a te- a tear fell from her blue eyes. Then a second, a third, right on the page that was open, page seven made the ink run so i'll have a copy i'll have to copy it over dear d if only you if well what does that if mean if what she was singing the same old tune again a child or maybe it was something else about about the other one though even here it seemed as though but no that would be too stupid